Well, it is a good day for us. We got the youth hanging out with us, and um, and they're you know they're serving along, and it's just another glimpse of as our church grows that there's this intergenerational community that is growing with it. It's a great picture of the kingdom of God, and um, and so we are just excited. Um, Here's what's interesting, you know, let's talk about promises for a moment. How many of you parents have ever promised your kids something? Parents have promised your kids something. How many of you parents have not fallen through with that promise? Ah, uh, yeah, okay. So, um, my, when I was in high school, my parents promised me, my dad, he says, Brian, mom and I will buy you a car if you get straight A's. Is that a good promise? Now, that was a good promise. I'm not going to tell you what grades I got because they weren't straight A's, but that was still a good promise. But yet there's also bad promises. Well, again, when I was in high school, I would always get this promise. If you keep talking back, I will smack you. <laughs> that is a bad promise. Then when it got worse, it would be like this. You keep talking back. I'm going to have you go up the stairs and bring the belt down. Now, parents, I'm just saying, that's what happened to me. And that's why I turned out the way I did. <laughs> and that's a bad promise. I did not like that at all. But promises generally are good. And when they are fulfilled, even better. And so this uh, series that we're starting is God's promises to us. And here's why we could trust. God's promises to us. Just two quick, quick reasons. There's m many more, but there's two reasons. One is that because when we live out the word of God and we realize that he offers us promises, and then the beauty is that we see these promises fulfilled in our lives. And the second reason we could um, uh, take to heart God's promises is because the Bible is reliable. The Bible is one of the most unique books of all of history. The most unique book in all of history. In fact, the Bible is not just one book, but it's a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors. They come from different backgrounds. Fishermen, prime minister, general, and so forth. They wrote in different moods. Sometimes they were happy. Sometimes they were really, really sad. And they wrote laments, like lamentations. They wrote about the sorrow they're feeling. They wrote questions about God, why? They wrote in all different moods. They wrote on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And here's what's amazing about the Bible. That when it all comes together, it fits why? Because the Bible is the inspired word of God. So when we're reading the words of scripture, we're reading inspiration from God to us. And when God offers us a promise, we could take hold of that promise because it is God speaking to us through his word. And the promise today is the promise of no more pain and no more tears. How many of you wake up with that pain in your back? Oh. 
Anybody? Or is it just me? We wake up and, and there's no more pain is the promise that we have. No more tears. No more drama in our families. I'm sure that's implied in there, but you get what I'm talking about. So this is the promise that, that we have going on. And it's the promise of no more pain, no more tears. And it comes in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. To <clears throat> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We're really going to focus on just a couple verses in this passage here. But we've got to ask first, what do we mean by a new heaven and a new earth? Because it says here there's a new heaven and new earth. Prior to this, prior to Revelation 21, what we read is a lot of doom and gloom. We read about destruction. We read about um, demise. We read about these old sinful things being done with. And it's, it's, it's this shift from this destruction to a brand new hope. The hope that we have as believers in Jesus. We read that there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Say new heaven and new earth. And that implies there's an old heaven and old earth. Perhaps what we're living in now. There is a new heaven and new earth. After all this destruction going on, there's a new heaven and a new earth. It, it, God gave Isaiah this, this prophecy in Isaiah 65. We read this in Isaiah 65, verse 17 to 19. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad... And rejoice forever in what I create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. 
I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. So the Bible teaches us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That is a remade or a restored heaven and a restored earth. When sin entered the world, it affected you and I. It affected our relationship with God. But sin also affected the world that we live in today. Sin is that powerful. When we go back to Genesis 3 and look at the fall of humankind, what we see is this change from Genesis 3. Everything else changed because of sin. It affected humankind and it affected the earth as we know it. But when Jesus returns... One day, the promise and the hope that we have is that Jesus will return. Now, when he returns, I don't know, but he is returning. When he returns, he's going to make all things new. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it laid bare. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And here's what Peter says. You, we, ought to live holy and godly lives as we look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So it seems like heaven's not this some um, random, like, like in this different dimension place to be. It seems like when Jesus returns, he's going to bring heaven to earth. That he's going to restore this earth, restore everything that there is as was intended before the fall in Genesis 3. But if Jesus is bringing heaven to earth, and that's like the ultimate second coming, right? What does that mean for you and I today? How do our lives reflect bringing heaven to earth? How do our lives reflect the fact that we want people to know the love of Christ now? Because if Jesus comes back... When he comes back, rather, he's going to restore this earth, bringing heaven to earth. What can we do and what are we doing now to bring heaven to earth in our everyday lives? Even little things like showing love and grace and compassion and caring. Even little things like not losing our anger, like asking for forgiveness, like showing mercy. Bringing heaven to earth, you could think on a global scale. If you're feeling called to go serve the disenfranchised in a different part of Hawaii or a different part of the states or a different part of the world, that is a big part of bringing heaven to earth. The question is, what are we doing to bring heaven to earth? Because, because all of us have a responsibility in the kingdom of God. All of us have a responsibility in the family. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. The Bible refers to us as the, bo the body of Christ. 
and we all have different abilities, regardless if we're young, regardless if we're mature, we all have responsibilities within the family of Christ. And here's the beauty about all this, that when we live how we're designed to live, that gives us this excitement that's from God. That gives us this renewed excitement and energy that only comes from God. Bringing heaven to earth. We have that responsibility. And really it's the final answer to the Lord's prayer. That thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if we're talking about Jesus coming, restoring heaven, restoring, you know, bringing heaven to earth when he comes and returns for all those who believe in him, we've got to ask the question, where are the dead now? Have you ever wondered, like when people die now, where are they? Are they in heaven? Are they kind of just waiting for the second return or, or exactly where are they? And I think the Bible teaches this, it's called the intermediate state. And what that means is that they are in heaven. The Bible talks about that when we're dead here, we're in the presence of the Lord. So they are in the presence of the Lord. Now the difference is, they may not have their resurrected bodies, but the Apostle Paul looked forward to being with Christ upon death. That's what he said. He goes, I just want to be with the Lord, but I know it's better for me to be with you. And so, so those, um, so, so, so it's not that they're just waiting. They're in the presence of the Lord. And I believe what happens is when Jesus comes for the second coming, then those souls that are with the Lord will then get their resurrected bodies, as we learned about in 1 Corinthians 15 and others, kind of like the body that Jesus had when he resurrected. Then we all come together and with Jesus kind of like on the clouds coming down. So the Bible teaches they're with the Lord, and when they come back, they'll be restored with their resurrected bodies. It's called the intermediate states. But then we got to talk about what will heaven be like? How many of you ever heard that heaven's going to have pearly gates? Pearly gates. Yeah? Streets of gold? How cool is that? All right. Here's the lamest joke in the world. Not that I ever tell lame jokes, but I'm just saying. So, so this guy, <laughs> this is like the lamest joke, but it's okay. This, this, this guy, like, wanted to bring his wealth. So he sold everything he had into gold bars. And he brings uh, a suitcase of gold bars and he gets to the pearly gates, right? <laughs> This is all just a joke, all right? It's a bad joke. Uh, and and St. Peter's there. He's all, so, uh, hey, Biff. His name is Biff. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just Biff. Biff, what do you got there? He goes, oh, well, you know. <laughs> Opens up, and it's like this, like, millions of dollars of gold. Yeah! And, like, we would be like, oh, hey, what's up, Biff? You want to be best friends? But St. Peter says, what, what do you got there? He's like, I got gold bars. And then St. Peter says, why would you bring us pavement? Because <laughs> streets of gold? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got it. That's a horrible joke. I know that. I think that, I do, I think that joke, I think Jesus told that joke, you know. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so we have these descriptions in, in the Bible about streets of gold, pearly gates, uh, other things. <laughs> I can't think off the top of my head. And so, so is it going to be literally streets of gold and literally like pearly gates? I don't know. 
Here's what I think is going on, though. So John got this vision, right, and this revelation, so to speak. And by the way, the reason it's called revelation and not revelations with an S is because it's one revelation, but within that one revelation, there's multiple revelations, okay? So if in your freshman Bible class you ever were doing a test and you wrote an S at the end of revelations, you would get it wrong. Not that that happened to me, but I'm just saying. Don't ever put an S in the revelation. All right, so, <laughs> because I did. So what happened was um, uh, he, he sees this, and, and it's this picture of heaven. And I think he's trying to use any language that could adequately explain how amazing heaven is. He gets his glimpse of heaven, and he's trying to describe it in language that he knows. And so he says, streets of gold, pearly gates, and, and he's trying to give us a picture of how amazing that it's going to be. And, uh, and, and that's, that, that is amazing. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this. The Apostle Paul writes about heaven. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. These things God has prepared for those who love him. So we haven't seen heaven. But God has prepared something amazing. And here is our promise. It's in Revelation 21.4. This is the promise from the Lord. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Wait, wait. Hold on. No more crying. Does that mean if we get to heaven and my six-month-year-old Hananiah... She's sleeping. Does that mean she's not going to cry through the middle of the night? I literally just thought about that. Thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Can you come now? I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. So he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And it's not just death or mourning or crying and pain that will be no more. If that were it, that'd be amazing. But there's more. This is amazing. The rest of Revelation 21 and 22 be good chapters to read when you go home. But tell us that there'll be no more sin, no more darkness, no more night, no more impurity, no more shame, no more deceit, no more international strife, no more curse in terms of Genesis 3 that resulted in sin. No more of any of those things. You want to know a beautiful description of heaven? There's, there's two that I find really amazing. One is that the gates are always open. And what does that imply? It implies safety, that there's no threat of opposing forces coming in. Because back in this days, what did they do? They closed the gates to keep people they didn't want out. The gates are open because there's no threat to, in heaven. And it says it's always light. It's God's glory lighting up heaven, there's no darkness. I think those are two beautiful images that we could really take hold of, that it's safe, there's no fears, nothing to worry about, and we're in the presence of God. That is amazing. And so, what makes heaven heaven? Three words. God is there. What makes heaven, heaven, God is 
there. We will be in the presence of God. And when we are in the presence of God, that is heaven. Ezekiel 48, 35, Ezekiel gives this description of heaven. And the name of the city from that time on will be, here it is, the name of heaven. The Lord is there. What's the name of heaven? The Lord is there. Isn't that encouraging and comforting? The Lord, the creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the, 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 the one who is nothing but love, the one who is nothing but compassion and mercy, the one who just wants a relationship with us, he is there and we will be in his midst. Amen? That is the promise that we have in Scripture. And, and the beauty of all of this, we didn't do anything to earn it. You would think something that amazing, you'd have to go and buy it. Have you ever done those timeshare presentations? Those are the worst things in the world. Because you sit down at the timeshare. Like on our second anniversary, Kaz and I went to um, a place. <laughs> and <laughs> I said like it was like a horrible place. <laughs> we went to this uh, hotel and we're hanging out and, and there's a timeshare. Because if you do the timeshare, then you get a whole bunch of goodies. But then you sit down, and here's what they want to know. The name of your family, your kids, basically your social security number, you know, not really that. But then they want to know how much you make. Because if you make a lot of money, they're going to spend a lot more time with you. It is the worst thing in the world, but you got to sit through that. And then you, gotta, you end up buying stuff to get stuff, unless you're really strong and you don't buy anything. What we ended up doing was we ended up leaving. But, but there is that will and that dealing that happens there. Heaven's not like that. Heaven is this. Jesus says, I love you. I died for you. You don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. Is that love? That is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. The grace of Jesus. We don't have to earn it. We are saved by grace through faith. And this, not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2 is a powerful book to read and talking about God's grace on our lives. So with all of this, how should we respond? You want to hear something really cool about heaven? Just think about this. It's a quote from my, from my, uh, from my pastor, my, my mentor, Bob Mink. Um, the reality is that no one has looked forward to final heaven more than God himself, whose love has spared no sacrifice to make it possible. I'm going to read it one more time. Just process this. And, and you could always, by the way, always go back online to our website because if you ever want to say, what was that quote again on anything, just go to the, uh, and there's, you could listen to the podcast or watch the Facebook video of it and, and all these uh, scriptures will be on there. And you could go back and reflect on it and meditate on these different scriptures. But here's the quote one more time. The reality is that no one has looked forward to final heaven more than God himself, whose love has spared no sacrifice to make it possible. Is that kind of a different perspective? That nobody is looking forward to final heaven more than the creator of the universe. Wow. What does that say? It says that we are loved. 
You may not feel like you're loved. You may feel like you have no value. You may feel like you have no purpose or any of that stuff. But God says, no, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And I say you are worth it because you are my child. That is comforting. And that's truth that God wants us to know. So how should we respond? Second Peter says this. We should respond by living holy and godly lives. Take a moment and just reflect with your life. How are we doing with living a holy and godly life? Holy means a life that's set apart. Does our life look like everybody else's or is there something different about it? Are we living godly lives, a life that honors the Alpha and the Omega? Just take a moment and just say, God, what areas do I need to work on? Holy and godly lives is how we should respond. When, when we are in pain and when we have sorrow, those are reminders that this life is temporary. When we feel like there's no hope, it's another reminder this life is temporary. But the promise we have is that God will meet us in our pain and in our sorrow. The promise that we have is no matter what pain and what we're going through, God will meet us there. And one day, he will return. Or when we die, we are in his presence. Either way, we win because God wins. We win because God loves us with this deep love. And hopefully you understand that, that God loves you so much that he created a place, heaven, for all of us to be in relationship with him forever. As the band comes, I, uh, I want to remind us that there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation, nothing we could do to earn eternity with our Savior. There's nothing we could do. We just need to receive it. Does that mean we're perfect? No. But what it means is when we are strained from the Lord, that, that, that when we're walking away from God, it means that we say, Lord, help us to repent from our sins and help us to turn back to you. Let's not take for granted the love of Christ. Let's not take for granted the grace of Christ. Let's not take for granted all that he has done for us. And let's live holy and godly lives. And let's remember the promise that we are promised no more tears and no more pain. With that, we can say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond through song.